Pastor Xavier Rees says living life going for the gusto can be deadly. The scriptures say that if a person is living in pleasure, she or he is dead while they are living. Now you remember when we were in the world, right? We partied, did our thing, dragged in the next morning, and we said, oh man, that was living. And we really worked to dine, didn't we? How interesting that you can be living in pleasure and think you're living, and it's just a matter of time before you find out you're dying. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Scripture does acknowledge that sin is fun for a season, but also carries the warning that the wages of sin is death. But coming up, Pastor Xavier brings us the simple truth that the remedy for going from having no life to having life is simply to partake in Jesus. So let's join him for more of his study in the Gospel of John, where we'll find this bread of life offered to all those who are hungry. John chapter 6, the crowds are following Jesus because they have seen his signs. They have seen how he has performed healings for all diseases. And Jesus then rebukes the crowds for following him to Capernaum because they only were interested in the physical bread that he had provided for them. But then he also admonishes them not to labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for everlasting life, which is given by himself, by the authority of the Father who sent him. And I love Jesus because Jesus is confrontational. Now, a lot of us don't like confrontation. We do everything to skirt it. And we bring a lot of problems in our life. Then others of us are too confrontational and we create problems. (laughs) But Jesus is always, he, he doesn't let anybody get away with anything and he knows how to deal with it. There's that balance of compassion, mercy, and reprove, rebuke. And you see him in the scriptures continually. And so they ask him for a sign in order to validate what he has said. And they point to Moses. Moses gave us manna. (laughs) Now, remember what's amazing in the request is he just fed from 20 to 40,000 people. They want another sign. And here they come. And this, you must keep this thought in your mind as you go through this whole passage. It's Passover time, okay? And they're coming. Now, the response of the people in view of what Jesus has said was to reject Jesus. And our text provides for us three reasons why the people rejected Jesus. Let's look at the first. They misunderstood his person, verse 41 to 51. Notice first in verse 41, Jesus was rejected by the Jews for declaring he was from heaven. He was claiming deity. For they say he said he was the bread which came down from heaven. But he was also declaring his mission to impart life. He tells him exactly who he was. Verse 47, he is the object of faith for everlasting life. Verse 48, he is the bread of life. Verse 49, he is distinct and superior to the manna that only sustained life, not imparted eternal life. Because they pointed to Moses. Verse 50 and 51, the first portion, 
He is the living bread that came down to impart eternal life to anyone who chooses to partake. And then notice, fifthly, the end of verse 51. He is the one who gives his life for the ransom of the sinful world. He came as a sacrifice. Now, what's the background? Passover. What are they doing? They're going to Jerusalem to see a lamb killed, to partake of it, to remember the exodus, the blood, the covering, the angel of death not getting them, deliverance. The language that Jesus is using, they were to understand based on the backdrop of Passover. And as we're going to see, the problem is they were divorcing it from the very background. The Jews misunderstood the person of Jesus. They misunderstood him. Maybe you have a wrong concept of Jesus this morning as a person. Then you need to search the scriptures. Notice, secondly, they misunderstood his purpose. Verses 52 to 59. Jesus had offended the Jews by his teaching because they took him literally rather than spiritually prefigured by the Passover feast they were about to attend. And this happens often with the word of God. And so in verse 52, notice they quarreled among themselves because of his words. Like the Samaritan woman who said to Jesus, how is it that you being a Jew ask drink of me, a Samaritan woman? And later she says, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? How? Where? How come? Why? There's a natural mind, right? <laughs> Trying to understand the spiritual truths of God with some natural understanding and, and it just does not compute. Notice they question how it was possible for Jesus to give them his flesh to eat in verse 52 also. You see, the law prohibited, they knew as Jews, they, the law prohibited any form of human sacrifice, for that was murder. In, in Genesis 9, 5 through 6, and many other passages, says that God required the life of every man who shed blood. Capital punishment. For it polluted the land. And the law prohibited drinking of blood, Leviticus 17, 11, and 12. So they knew this. But they're hearing this message, and they're saying, what is he talking about? But they were taking him literally. They were divorcing his words and his teaching, which were so appropriate for the time of Passover, that for which God had schooled them and prepared them, and they were throwing it out altogether. And so notice, secondly, in verse 53 and 50 through 56, that Jesus came to reveal that man was dead without him. Now, this is not a very favorable message to the non-believer when you tell him that he's dead. When you tell him that he's separated from God, it's offensive. And once again, notice Jesus qualifies his proclamation as authoritative by the phrase, most assuredly I say to you. He does this twice in here. Now, notice in verse 53, the remedy of going from having no life to having life was simply to partake of Jesus. Very straightforward. It's that simple. You come to Jesus. The scriptures say that if a person is living in pleasure, she or he is dead while they are living. Now you remember when we were in the world, right? We partied, did our thing, came in, dragged in the next morning, and we said, oh man, that was living. And we really worked at dying, didn't we? 
We didn't sleep that much. We skipped food. But we polluted ourselves with alcohol, drugs, and sex, and everything else. And it took years off of our life, but we called it living. How interesting. That you can be living in pleasure and think you're living, and it's just a matter of time before you find out you're dying. Now notice in verse 54, the result is twofold. The person has eternal life here and now. The minute you accept Christ, you have eternal life. Secondly, the person will be raised in the resurrection in the last day. There's the twofold benefit. Now you want to make sure you're on that side of the benefit. And notice thirdly in verse 56, 55 and 56, the relationship is one of mutual commitment and abiding. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. He is committed to me, I'm committed to him. He has come, I have all my heart to him, I abide in him. There's the key. There's the key. There's a lot of people that say they're Christians, but they don't abide in Christ. You need to examine these scriptures if you're that person. Notice thirdly in verse 57 and 58 that Jesus came to give eternal life to man. The living Father sent him, verse 57 says there, Jesus was the living bread. He already said that in verse 35 and verse 48 and verse 51. Living bread, living God, living Father. The living word, the scriptures declare. But notice thirdly in verse 57 still, the person who is nourished by Jesus will live because of Jesus. That's important. If you claim to have life eternal, it is because of Jesus and through Jesus, not through anyone else. And then fourthly, in verse 58, the bread from heaven, Jesus is superior to the manna of the wilderness, for the manna in the wilderness sustained life only, but Jesus imparts eternal life. Now, people can point to many religious experiences or whatever it may be, but it cannot top what Jesus is. It cannot impart what Jesus imparts, eternal life. And then fifth and last, in verse 59, the words Jesus spoke took place where? in the synagogue at Capernaum. How fitting. See, there was no sacrifice in the synagogues. They only taught the word of God. Jesus was preparing them for the nature of the church to be taught. He was a sacrifice. No more. He was preparing them, yet they were not understanding because they were divorcing his words from the schooling that God had given them. Completely. The purpose behind the insistence that Jesus is the source of the eternal life is that he is the only one. And that if we don't come through him and by him, we will perish in our sins. John 3, 36 again. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son has not life, and the wrath of God abides in him. What an awesome statement. If a person dies in their sin, they will perish for all eternity. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Do you realize that in that one statement, Jesus destroyed every religion, every philosophy, every system of works to get to heaven and to get to God? Now, some may say, well, that's very narrow-minded. Well, it, it's, Jesus said that. He said that straight and narrow is the way that leads to everlasting life. Now, if you believe that you are on the straight path, 
You better make sure it's lined up with the narrow gate. You better make sure you're not on the Broadway. And I'm not talking about shopping. Um, you better make sure that if you're on the straight, you're lined up with the narrow gate. Or you will never enter in. That's a warning. A warning of love. The Jews misunderstood the purpose of Jesus. Totally misunderstood him as people do today. The third reason they rejected him is found in verse 60 through 71. They misunderstood his promised kingdom. They misunderstood his promised kingdom. Notice first in verse 60 to 63. The company of disciples were expecting a physical kingdom. Verse 60, many of his disciples, when they heard the teaching, declared it was a difficult thing to accept. Oh, it's comfortable to hear nice words. Oh, it's so soothing. But then when you hear these words that demand of you a commitment, ooh, that's hard. They weren't hard to understand. They were hard to accept. And this is where the rubber meets the road, people. People come to church. People say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. But they don't accept the teachings of Jesus to live out because it's difficult to commit themselves to it. Though they agree and they're nice to listen to, but there's no commitment. In verse 61, Jesus, knowing their murmuring hearts, exposes their stumbling. The word is the same as in verse 45 for murmuring. And the word stumbling means to scandal on. As the word is scandalizo, it means to trip. It's a trip step. You ever be walking somewhere and it's not a, a legitimate six-inch step? Maybe it's a two-inch step or a three-inch step and you don't see it and you trip on it? It's a trip step. Jesus was a trip step to people. You see? They misunderstood his kingdom. In verse 62, Jesus reveals his crowning as king will be in heaven, not on earth. What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? Would that make a difference? What's the implication? No. Nope. They wanted a kingdom now. Now, there are a lot of people that go to church and are in church. They want the kingdom now. There's a whole company in the church that believes that Jesus is their genie to give them Rolls Royce, all the money, clothes, jewelry. Okay? They're after the many disciples here. They're after this category. They misunderstand the person of Jesus. They misunderstand uh, his uh, purpose, and they misunderstand his promised kingdom. They're reading the gospel with colored glasses and subjective interpretation. In verse 63, Jesus declares that the nature of the kingdom is spiritual, not physical. It is the spirit who gives life and the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And the spirit refers to the Holy Spirit who ushers us into the kingdom of his dear son through the new birth that was declared to Nicodemus. It is the Holy Spirit that brings life into our life that gives us illumination, understanding. Apart from that, the flesh profits nothing. It's impotent. This flesh is impotent. The spirit is willing. My flesh is weak. I cannot depend on it. I cannot trust it. And so the company of disciples were expecting a physical kingdom. 
But notice secondly in verse 64 through 66 that the commentary of Jesus on the many disciples and his kingdom is very important. In verse 64, beginning, Jesus declares that some of them did not believe what he was saying. But there are some of you who do not believe. Whoa. Now, we can say generally there's some of you in here who do not believe. But I don't know who you are. Jesus looked right at him and says, you don't believe. Now, I don't think they argue with him. You know, we say that to somebody, oh, how do you know? You don't know my heart. You know, I can imagine when they say, oh, Jesus, you don't know my heart. He says, oh, yes, I do. <laughs> also, secondly, verse 64, Jesus knew from the beginning the unbelievers. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. So those who did not believe at that time. And then secondly, the one who would betray him. Long-term wise, he's speaking of Judas Iscariot. We'll get to that. He knows all the time. Now, we can play games with one another, but we cannot play games with Jesus. That's what I love about the kingdom of God. It's an individual thing. You know what I mean? You, you can't tag on to somebody else. You can't depend on somebody else. You can't blame somebody else. It's you and Jesus. And that's the bottom line. The many disciples from that time went back. They walked away not to follow him anymore, verse 66 says. Hmm. No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God, Jesus said, Luke 9, 62. Everybody understood the imagery. Here's this plowman, and he's cutting a groove. Now, if he looks backwards, that line's going to be all crooked. And he won't finish his work. You put your hand to the plow, that means you finish. And you look forward, so they're cut straight. Okay? The implications are real, real clear. Notice third and last in verse 67 to 71. The company of the 12 had embraced the kingdom. Here's the contrast. Verse 67, Jesus asked his 12 disciples if they also wanted to go away. Jesus said, uh, then said to the 12, do you also want to go away? And Jesus gets a response from Peter as the spokesman of the group. I love it. Peter declares that Jesus was their only hope. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? And I can imagine him putting those expressions on it. Lord, who are we going to go to? He says, you have the words of eternal life. After coming to you, Jesus, we can't go back. Who can we go to? When we come to you, we have arrived. If we depart from you, it's our loss. If we go beyond you, we've gone too far. It's very evident here. And then in verse 69, Peter declares that they had come to the settled conclusion in the past and continued at the present that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the tense in the Greek. They had concluded in the past. They continued to conclude in the, in the present that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And some manuscripts read the Holy One of God. It's a settled thing in the past, a continuing affirmation in the present. That's what he declared. And notice 
third and last in verse 70, Jesus reveals that he chose the 12, and one of them was a devil, meaning a slander, a false accuser. He was speaking of Judas Iscariot, verse 71 there, and he was a son of Simon. He was the one who would betray him. He was one of the 12. I know a young woman who is bitter against God because she misunderstood his kingdom, thinking that there would be no tragedies in life, no difficulties. And then a disabled child was born unto her, and then her husband left her for another woman, and she walked away from God. Are you expecting a physical kingdom with no problems here? Then you misunderstand the promise of his kingdom. Are you expecting Jesus to solely provide for you on the physical level, to provide your food, your clothing, and the comfort of life? Then if that's the way you think, then you have not changed your perspective from before you came to Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25 through 34 that this is what the Gentiles seek after all time, what they eat, what they drink. He says, let the lilies of the field show you. The lilies of the field put Solomon to shame in his robes. Look at the birds. The kingdom is first, and then all these things shall be added unto you. Are you offended often at the words and teachings of Jesus? Then maybe you have not really believed in him. You haven't been drawn by the Father. Matthew 6, 11, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are not offended in me. Scandalon, tripped, happy. Are you tripped up by the words of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus? You need to examine that. Are you going to walk away from Jesus as the crowds who followed Jesus as long as he met their physical need? But when he began to declare the nature of his person, his purpose, and his promised kingdom, then are you going to turn away or are you going to be like the twelve? And say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. It is a choice, isn't it? Have you noticed that the story began with the multitudes, 5,000 to 40,000, but it ends with only 12? It began on a hillside in Tiberias. It ended up in a synagogue. Wow. Is now the scriptures warn us continually, like the days of Noah? Population probably comparable to ours today. Only eight got saved. Many call, few chosen. It's amazing what the Bible teaches. But we don't hear what it teaches so often. The many disciples misunderstood his promised kingdom and had a difficult time accepting it. The response of the people to reject Jesus was for three reasons. They misunderstood his person. How about you? Do you misunderstand him? You need to look into the scriptures. They misunderstood his purpose. Do you think Jesus is just here to make you rich? To keep you from all tragedy? I hope not. They misunderstood his promised kingdom. Do you expect a kingdom here and now then you haven't read the Bible we look forward to the kingdom yet the kingdom is present but it's not yet come <laughs> so we look forward to it it's spiritual now may God give us wisdom 
as we continue to look at the teachings of Jesus. Pastor Xavier Reese with some final encouragement today as he challenges us with a message entitled, Do You Misunderstand Jesus? And once again reminding us of the simple truths about the person, purpose, and promised kingdom of Jesus Christ. And you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And if what you've heard has posed a specific challenge in your own walk, maybe your own CD would be helpful in furthering your own personal study. In fact, there's more content to the message than time allows us to present on the air. And then you'll also be able to listen and make notes at your own pace. Plus, having your own copy makes it convenient to pass along to others. So once again, the title is, Do You Misunderstand Jesus? And we'd be happy to pass one along to you for just $4. You can address your request to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please don't forget to let us know the call letters of this station when you write or call. Next time, come quench your thirst with living waters. More Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese from the Gospel of John. Hope you'll be back then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com Music